All right. Well, let's get started. Uh, Nathan, would you lead us in prayer this morning as we get going? Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where we will be today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, what we will do, my plan this morning is just to start at the beginning and we'll just see how, how far we get. By show of hands, does anybody feel like they know the book of 1 Corinthians? If you feel like you know the book of 1 Corinthians pretty well, raise your hand. Other than Pastor Dave. I mean, you can't put your hand up. Put your hand up. No? Okay. Good. So we're going to have fun. Um, 1 Corinthians is one of my favorite letters of Paul. I taught it to the youth a couple of years ago, but it still feels like, the, like 1 Corinthians and Romans, I think they're like these two powerhouse letters right at the beginning of, of, of Paul's writings, and they're just so rich and full of, of truth um, that they can be almost daunting. So let's just start... From the beginning, and we're going to walk a little ways through and see um, what we can what we can glean as we go. I'm going to be relying heavily on you guys today because you're adults. And I don't get to teach adults very much, so I like to call on you, or not call on you, but let you uh, have some freedom to speak. So warm up those vocal cords. And we can do that by would someone read the first three verses of chapter 1. Please. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. So, before we get into the thick of it, let's just take a moment and see how baller she handled the name that was, I mean, you didn't even flinch. You didn't even flinch. I mean, just pow. If we ever have an Old Testament reading, I'm calling directly on you, Lord. That was fantastic. Great work. I was like, whoa, didn't even, didn't even bat an eye. I'm proud of you, Lord. That's great. Um, so let's, let's start from the beginning. So Paul, uh, what is Paul's title? What was Paul's role in the church? He's an apostle. Does anybody, what does it mean to be an apostle? What did it mean to be an apostle? When Paul says, I am an apostle, what did he mean when he said that? Follower. Follower, okay. Yes, follower, but that could also be disciple. What, what, what makes an apostle unique from a disciple? Wasn't an apostle like the original 12? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so does anybody know what, what makes an apostle? Like what, like what were some of the benchmarks that the apostles had? Mark. They're called directly by the Lord. Very good. Right. So what is so so why is it that we don't call pastors apostles today? For that reason. Right? All of the apostles, the twelve plus Paul, 
and I would even say James and Jude because they knew Christ personally. They were all considered apostles because they knew Christ Jesus firsthand and they were called by Jesus. Remember, Paul will say in Galatians that he was not taught the scripture by anyone, but it was revealed to him by Christ himself, right? That's Galatians chapter 1 when he's defending his ministry. So Paul too, though he was um, one untimely born, as he says in first, or 2 Corinthians 12, he's saying um, he revealed himself even to me. So Paul is an apostle. And, and who's, did, did Paul want to be an apostle? Who, who decided that Paul was going to be an apostle? Still in verse 1. God did. Absolutely. Absolutely. So he didn't, he didn't muscle out uh, an apostleship. He didn't jockey for one. He didn't, didn't stuff the ballot box. I mean, he, he was called, right? This is so much bigger than just what I think. It, and and the, why am I belaboring the point? I'm belaboring the point because the office of apostle and what Paul did and what Paul has written and why he was qualified to write the scriptures is a big deal. It's why we take his letters so seriously. Because he was called by Christ. The, the gospel was revealed to him, not taught. And it was God's will for him to have that role. Right? Because he's an unlikely convert, is he not? You guys are going to go, right after Luke, into Acts in Sunday school. You're going to see, I mean, Paul is, is holding, Paul is the coat boy for the first martyr. Paul is running all over Judea, at, imprisoning and, and killing Christians. So it's no small thing for this guy to pick up the pen with the authority of an apostleship and say, I was called by the will of God. Obviously not my will. My will was to, to, to promote Judaism. My will was to be a Pharisee. But here we see that he is writing um, under the pen of the apostle, which is what gives him authority, which makes this book scripture. Maybe you don't stop to think about that. But I want to make sure we're all on the same page about our understanding of, of scripture. Now he goes on to say in chapter, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord. First things first, for those of you that know the book of Corinthians, why is verse 2 so interesting to hear? Well, let me ask you this. Do you know why the, the, the letter of Corinthians was written? Maybe an even easier question. As I, I'm writing questions on the fly. Um, was this church, did this church have everything together? Or were they pretty messed up? Messed up, right? So, not good. I mean, the whole, the whole, all, all, all 15, 16 chapters is basically one long corrective, right? It's, it's not great. I mean, we're going to see if we get to verse 10 today of chapter 1. There's divisions. Like, it's, it's split up. It's messed up. Some people are getting fed up. People are getting stuffed up with food from idols. It's just all up in the air. Um, and so, so, but what does that, so knowing that, how does that, what he says about the church, calling it a church, calling it a church that's being sanctified in Christ Jesus, calling them saints, which is, which is the New Testament way of describing believers, all believers, don't fall into the trap of the Catholic Church canonizing and, and make certain Christian saints. We're all considered saints if we are followers of Christ in the New Testament. How does that instruct us to understand this train wreck of a church, but what Paul still considers it? Because when God saves, he completes, he completes his work. So he began a good work and he will carry it on to completion. He knows that if they're truly saved, they'll be 
Right. Right. Very good. Very good. Any other observations from the first three verses before we go on? Oh, here's a question. Verse 3. Um, is, is, is saying grace and peace to you from our God and Father Lord Jesus Christ just a throwaway verse? I mean, is, is, that, is that... Because Paul uses it in every one of his letters. Is that just like his moniker? Is that just like how you know it's him? I'll ask it to you like this. Is there anywhere else you can go in this life to receive true grace and true peace? There's nowhere else, right? There's nowhere else where we can find grace and peace. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So remember, God as Father, Christ Jesus as Lord. So that's, again, that's not just a throwaway verse. Again, like, when you start a new book, I think sometimes we're like, okay, this is like how all books start, so let's get through that to get to what we assume is the meat of the letter in verse 4. But Paul is very deliberate in how he addresses churches and how he understands um, what it is that makes churches go and what, what Christians need to be fulfilled, or to, to be full of the Spirit. We need grace, we need peace, and they only come from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying that, um, I heard one preacher say one time that, that he starts the letter with grace to you and peace to you, uh, because he's about to lay out some things that you can really hang your hat on. So it's like, get ready for what's coming. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. By the power of the Spirit, Paul will be writing truth to you that, that is meant to give you grace and peace as it comes from God. And this church needs peace, doesn't it? This church, well, as we'll see as we go, this church needs some peace. Because they're anything but peaceful. Now, would someone please pick it up in verse 4? And let's read about 4 through 9. Let's just do the paragraph. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gifts as, gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you very much. So, again, if if you know the letter, his first thing out of the gate. So, if if I'm thinking about churches that Paul ministered to, and I think about letters, think about the book of Galatians. What's unique about Galatians is, is he starts with basically no thanksgiving. You just get straight into like, what are you guys doing? Like, for him, it's like, like your church has become a dumpster fire and we need to handle it. And I would say that like, I mean, Corinthi- the, Cor- the church in Corinth has also got some substantial issues. But, but, he, he get, but he says when he prays to the Lord, he gives thanks for them because of the grace of God that was given to them in Christ Jesus. So, um, and he says this, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, and uh, uh, the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. So, what, what makes 1 Corinthians 
unique when it comes to the, the writing of things like speech, knowledge, and gifts. What does, what does Corinthians have that, that, that only a few other spots in the New Testament have when it comes to gifts? If you were to go, if someone were to ask you about the topic of spiritual gifts, where would you go? First Corinthians, Corinthians, right, chapter 12, right, and we're not getting there today, so don't worry about it. But again, if we if we know the letter, if we know, so so by knowing the letter, we know the church, and so and by knowing this church, we can look at things like the beginning of this letter and see that Paul is laying a foundation that of some of the topics that he's going to be be writing about. And yet, and though when we get to chapter twelve, we'll see that it, uh, we would see that it is a, it is a corrective. He's he's teaching them that that there are these great and magnificent spiritual gifts in this church, um, but they're they're not really being used properly. And and those that have these more um, flamboyant gifts are um, really getting a, a higher a higher seat of honor than than those that that have quote unquote just the gifts of serving or just the gifts of of, of, of hospitality or, or these lesser these lesser gifts. And so Paul is, is really starting to address that on the front end, is he not? He's saying that you're not lacking any gifts here, that, that you've been enriched with speech and now so, so gifts, the, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit were not the issue with this church. But, but we'll see as we go that, that it was um, how they handled them. But that's not what he says here, is it? He says in verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who sustains you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of the Son. So, there are some, some major themes that, that Paul comes to again and again in his letters in this, chap, in this paragraph, right? We see grace. We see the revealing of our Lord or the day of the Lord. What, what day is that? What is he talking about there? His return. Why, why does that matter? Why, why, does, why does the return of Christ matter? Lots of reasons. Lots of reasons, true. Why, so why, what, that's good. That's, I'm going to ask a general question. Give me a general answer. That's, that's okay. I'm this. No, you're not, no, it's, a general question deserves a general answer. That's fine. Okay. I, I got a lot thicker skin than that. <laughs> From this context, yes. it sounds like there's a revelation to everyone as well as people will understand each other's actions. So if you're found blameless or if Christ is judging you, then they will be blameless. <clears throat> they have the Lord, there's a judgment. Okay, good. And that, and that should matter, right? So the day of the Lord comes with some, some judgment. Yes, we see the word guiltless in verse 8. So... So there's this question. So what makes us guiltless in this day of the Lord? Is it is it the the the, the use of the gifts? Is it what I mean? Is that the crux of the issue? Is is how you live this life what's going to make you guiltless before before the Lord? Do your works save you? Faith alone. Faith alone. Right. 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 Yes. Right. So, what does that tell us about about these gifts? I mean, they're they're a blessing to the church, but are they are they saving gifts? 
Are they, do they catapult you to a different level of, of, of believing? I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. No. Well, let's, let's get into the, the, the nitty-gritty. Let's get down to verse 10. Let's talk about, about what's, what's going on here. So, we, we, we read some th- He's thankful. He's, he's laid out this, 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 this understanding of, of what he thinks about and prays for and, and, and the things about this church that, that he's seeing. God is being faithful to them. God is uh, revealing them, himself to them. He's sustaining them. He's, he's presenting them guiltless in the day of our Lord. Uh, but that doesn't mean that this church is above correction. So we're gonna let's see what what what's the initial thing that uh, Paul addresses in in his letter to the church at Corinth, starting in verse ten. Would someone read ten through? Well, if someone would be, ten to seventeen would be probably ideal. Ten to seventeen. I appeal to you, brothers. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Thank you. So, we see that he begins in verse 10 with an appeal, at, and as we're looking at verse 10, what, by what authority does he appeal? Yeah. By the name of Jesus. And what and what does the appeal consist of? What does he, what does he want them to do? <coughs> to be in unity. To be in unity. Right? So let me ask you this. What based on this text, what what is what is the disunity? What like what where, where's the break? What like what are they being disunified in? Teachers, but right? That means that they are agreeing about smaller things and then blaming it on whoever they were following. Or sure, okay, yeah, right. So we see that there was so Corinth seems to be somewhat of a hot spot for itinerant preachers, does it not? We see that Paul has been there, Apollos has been there, Cephas has been there, and for all of you uh, Sunday school uh, alums, Cephas is also named Peter. Peter. <laughs> see, I can't even get anybody, guys. Not even a moment. Good work. Yeah, so Peter. And then some say, I follow Christ. And, and then verse 13 says, is Christ divided? So there's this division between these preachers, but then there's also some that seem to, to say that I, I follow Christ. So there, And we don't know for sure what, what that means. right? We don't want to read more into the text than is there. So we don't know what, what did... Peter teach that Paul didn't teach? Or what did Apollos teach that we could just spend hours pontificating and guessing? We don't know, right, what, what is said or what why there was division, but we just know that there was division. And um, 
I think the gentleness of it is what makes the letter so applicable. Because have you ever seen a church disagree about anything? I mean, is this just only a first century problem? No. Right? It's not. Churches divide. And, and sadly, most churches divide on things far less important than doctrine. But what is... What is but, but, but Paul, is, is Paul okay with that? He's not. He's, it's the first thing out of the gate that he talks about. So I guess my question is, how valuable is unity in the local church? It's crucial, okay, good, true. What do we unify over? Because we're not agree on it. We're not going to agree on everything. Like, are we all going to be robots? The gospel, well, what does that mean? I think we're going to tie the gospel issue. Exactly, it's not. See, do you see where I'm getting at? I mean, we say things like, we, we unify around the gospel. Well, I mean, no one's going to say that Paul didn't preach the gospel, Apollos didn't preach the gospel, Paul didn't preach, they all preached the gospel. This is a church of Christ. So when we say we, all, we, we rally around the gospel, what do we mean by that? Jesus Christ, very good. If you're reading the letter, that's exactly where he's going to go next, right? That's important. So we unify over Christ. So does that mean that we need to be unified in everything outside of that? You should try to be. Try to be? Okay. Well, there's, there's basic Christian conduct that kind of keeps us in unity. Okay, okay. It seems like we're getting, we're getting from the more specific to the general, a little bit more fuzzy. I... I, have, I, I believe that I should wear a tie when I preach. Is that a gospel issue? No. Okay. So we have, um, I believe, oh man, I almost said a really dicey one. I'm trying to be really, really PG here. Really PG. Um, man, I can't even think of a good one without causing problems. So, but, but what, so, so we say we unify over the gospel, right? So then, so maybe the other question would be, what are things that we, sh- we don't have to be unified over? Where can we give grace? Just the truth, just the truth, period. The truth, period, okay, yes. I mean, there are so many things that churches deal with that are not explicitly commanded in Scripture. Are those the areas where we, where we seek to, to, to find unity? Yeah, Tom. You know the old saying, in essentials, unity, yeah. in essentials, liberty, all things charity. Yeah. You already mentioned, or someone mentioned, justification is by faith alone, and mm-hmm. that's an essential. Right. And the reason that it's essential is that's what gives life. Mm-hmm. That's what gives forgiveness. And our world is 1,000% about justification by works. My flesh is 1,000%. So thank God that I have the spirit to move and change my flesh. Right. I think a lot of people's taste in the church itself is there. So you can go down the street and you can have all the fun puns and your kids have all the the, the programs. Metaphorically, so down the so I, I believe I believe people go to a church that that's their taste. Like right. me, this is this is the church that brought me the gospel in jail. Sure. Okay, sure. so my, this is my taste. Like I'm Billy Graham, kind of that's my taste. So I get more of that here than you know, back, you know, that's Baptist in, in general. But I think it's your taste for how you want to get fed is mm. where you go. So. Certain practices, too, I think, are uh, <clears throat> worth dividing over. Yeah, I'm sorry, you said certain practices, how you practice sure. applying faith, doesn't yeah. have to be identical. doesn't have to be identical, right? So we might, um, 
So I'm thinking of a text like Romans 14 or some of these other texts that talk about that there are things that, that will not be explicitly commanded by Scripture, but, but, we, but every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and, and he will sometimes convict us differently about issues that are not directly covered in the Bible. And then I would argue in those areas are areas where we can um, find unity, or, or maybe a better word might be for you, my musicians, harmony. Right? We, don't, we don't all have to sing the same note, but if we're all on the same chord, we're still striking the beautiful music that is a local church. Right? So, yeah. I, I think diversity enriches, you know, sure. to cultural backgrounds and things like that. And, and the task comes to uh, setting aside your... Pre- I grew up in a very legalistic church. Oh, and um, as much as you try to shake that off, Sometimes it clings. Sure. And um, it's just, I think, diversity, getting to know people, their background, where they're coming from, helps you understand how they approach things. Right. I just think it's, I think it's fun. Amen. <laughs> That's great. And, yeah, I'm sorry, go. Okay. John 17, oh, cool. uh, scripture on and, and following Jesus, quote, or quoting Jesus, he talks a lot about What was, the, what was the reference? We'll read it. John 17. Let's all turn to John 17. I'm sorry, Jeff. I'm, I'm starting at 21. 1721. <clears throat> someone read 21. I don't know. As far as you want. I'm just kidding. 21 to, 21 to 26. Thank you. So what when when Jesus is praying to the Father and he's asking for this unity, what is the thing that they're unified in? Or maybe the question is, who is it that they're unified in? I heard someone say it. Say it louder. In Christ, right? So again, when we look at the makeup of our church, so, so to put these two things together with what Lori said about diversity and what Christ says about Jesus... The outside world, when they come to us, they should say, there's no logical worldly reason why this this group of people should be so unified. They come from different ethnic, social, all sorts of backgrounds. All sorts of backgrounds that are just categorically different. They don't live in the same neighborhoods. They don't don't come from the same places. They don't have the same kind of jobs. But they're all unified, and it seems like a supernatural unity. Because it is supernatural, right? 
because it's not found in any sort of secondary thing, right? And he says that that's how he's glorified, is that when we're unified in him, even though we're diverse in so many other ways. Right. And so when we can, when we can give grace on those non-essentials and when we can still love one another in our differences, then right. it's glorifying to Right. Right. And, you know, I think when it comes to teaching the Bible and talking about text, I think when, like for me anyway, if it's something that, that I didn't understand, like I really like park on it, right? And so I am a yes man. Like that's just who I am. Like I will tell you for the first probably 10 years that I went here, if Dave said it, I was with it. I don't care. I mean, if he's, I'm in. Whatever Pastor Dave says, I agree. I don't, I'm not going to look it up. I don't care. I believe it. I'm still like that because I trust him. But um, which take that as you will. But um, but oh, but you know what I've learned from being part of a body is that like we're not always going to agree, are we, about things outside of the gospel? And and unity is is sometimes a hard fought battle, is it not? But is it worth it? Is it worth it? I would argue it is. It was to Paul. Paul didn't want to see this church say, okay, okay, because Paul Paul's an apostle. He could say, hey, uh, all you guys that are following Paul, you go down to the third street. All you guys that are following Paul, you guys go to fifth street. We'll just split this thing up. Unity, uh, instant unity. Shake and bake. Done. And he and I even helped. That's not what he says there, is it? I saw a commercial. I saw that on there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you ask me to do the big show. Um, but he doesn't say break off based on what you think, does he? He doesn't say, okay, or we can't get over this because you all were, were baptized by, by Paul or, 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 excuse me, by Apollos or Stephen. We should just split up and then that's how we find unity. It's not what he says. It's not what he says. And then he goes on in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And there it is, right? That's what we said right away. What, what is it that unifies the church? It's the message of Jesus Christ. And he says, and, and, and what he preached were not words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. So is the power of the cross found in the eloquence of the words? Does, does, the, does, the, power, is, does the power of the cross negated if we don't know how if we if we if we don't have great words to use what, so what, where does the power of the cross come from yeah is it, is it from the, the preacher is it from the speaker no so so then why does it matter if it was Paul or Apollos or Cephas that told you he says it doesn't matter because the power wasn't in Paul or Cephas or Apollos. And everyone, everyone says in the book of Acts that Apollos was some baller speaker. He was great. Tons of people came to the altar, I'm sure. But was it because he was so eloquent? Well, he didn't even have the whole message right, right? They had, Priscilla and Aquila had to come in and slap him around a little bit. You guys will get there when you get to Acts. It's fun. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. So, so the power wasn't in these names. So then the unity of the church shouldn't be found in these names, Correct. Why did I pick this text? Well, because I'm preaching today. Not the good one. So we need the power of the cross. I want to say that stuff because he's in here. And I like to do that too. But yeah, so 
I guess I picked this text not realizing how maybe self-serving it does look, but I didn't mean that to be the case. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I just like 1 Corinthians, and if we're going to do one off, let's start at the beginning. But now all of a sudden we're here, and I'm dreadfully embarrassed. So let's, <laughs> let's go on. Let's move quickly. Move quickly. Um, let's, would someone read verse 18? Because first, cha- we need to keep moving, because chapter 1 just is chock full of, of just amazing truths about... So Paul will now pivot from... From the, the divisions, right? He's saying, okay, you're divided over these preachers. And he says, um, well, the cross has no, the cross is, is, is emptied of its power if, if the words are too eloquent. And let me, let me go on to explain to you why that is the case. Would someone read verse 18? Right, so, it doesn't matter who is saying it at this point, correct? Because the power is not found in the preacher. But it's found in the word of the cross, right? We say the word of the, or the gospel, the message of what Christ has done for sinners. And, and it's, it's folly to those who are perishing. What does that mean? Like, what, what, why is it folly? What? What does it mean to be folly? What, what folly to perish? What does that mean? What is Paul trying to, to, to say to us in that verse? Well, I mean, people that aren't born again are like, what are they doing? You know, what? Oh, that's... So before I was born again, I God had put, put people periodically in my life that were saved, and it was just like I was intrigued by their lives, but I wasn't obviously ready. So... Um, it is, I mean, because the whole world's not doing what, what, what we're doing, and it just looks foolish. Like, oh, well, he doesn't have any money, or, or he's not trying to get all the money he can get, or get a better job, or, you know, so, so it's like the, the, whole, the whole drive of the world is to get everything that has nothing to do with what we're doing. So that's why it looks foolish, because, well, this guy, he just, he has one car, and he mows a yard, and he's never been married, and, and he's happy. What's... It looks foolish, but it's just he's not driving to get the 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 the, the woman and the what you know that, that that's bad, but it's just like his motives are different. It looks foolish from the world period. Sure. Opposite. So he he's moved into into motives into outward external circumstances, which is which is helpful to see. Um, but Paul starts with the word, the message of the cross. Thomas, your hand up. Yeah. Go ahead. I Unless I've messed you up. I think the point of this saying that those is foolishness to those who are perishing. Is until until we are quickened, until we are regenerated, and God takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. We're going to see the gospel as foolishness, mm-hmm. and that's you know, Ezekiel thirty-six mm-hmm. prophesying the new covenant. And, you know, in my own testimony. Saturday night, had no desire for anything of God. Was never going to step foot in that church. Sunday morning I wake up and I have this new desire and God directs me to the American Baptist Church in Beatrice, Nebraska I wasn't raised in a Bible preaching church and I hear the gospel and believe that morning well if it would have been Saturday night I would have seen it as foolishness because of what God had done to waking me up and opening my eyes and my ears, the gospel is no longer foolishness to me. Do you, 
you're sharing your testimony, and I, if this is inappropriate, just tell me not to answer. But do you ever remember hearing the gospel before that moment? Yeah, I do. Did, did, did it? I mean, would you say that this text is true? That like you, you felt like it just it was foolish or didn't make sense? I mean, what was your take on the gospel before mm-hmm. the Lord captured your your heart? I mean, I'm putting you on the spot, but she's whispering in my in my ear. So I know. I understand. <laughs> I've been there. I guess I don't really know because at the end of the day, I, you know, before that Sunday morning, I didn't have ears to hear. Yeah. So I don't know if I never heard a good gospel or. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul would say that doesn't even matter, right? Right. There's no good gospel. There's just the gospel. I mean, right. Amen. I only ask because I mean, some of us maybe were saved younger or they don't remember, but but there there's so depending on how you grew up, you might think to yourself, well, all I've ever known is Christianity and, and and I don't remember a time where I hadn't heard the gospel or whatever um, and that's that's kind of more my story we just kind of grew up in churches so Mark well it's interesting um, my version and Tom's version both say being saved right um, yes there's the being born again there's the the, the calling of the, the wooing of the spirit and you, you make the commitment <coughs> You commit your life to it. It, mm-hmm. it becomes a part of you, and you're, it's a process. You're, you turn everything over to the Lord. And mm-hmm. That's how you try to live. Right. It kind of harkens back to um, verse 8. The, Jesus, the Lord Jesus who will sustain you to the end, right? So the idea of being saved is there, there's a moment in time when you're justified, right? When you're, you're put in right standing with God. But for most of us, um, it's not a deathbed confession, so there's this life to live after salvation. And that time, um, so the idea of being saved is not that you're, you're, you're progressively saved and you can, you can get it or lose it or, or it kind of comes and goes. No, you're, 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 you're in right standing with God, but the process of becoming more like Christ and being kept till the end is the idea of being saved. It's, it's being carried along until either the Lord calls you home or... If he comes in our lifetime, when, when, he, when he comes back that second time and puts all things right, good. Well, we got come on. We got to read some more of this. We got to get this going here. Come on. Would someone read nineteen through twenty-five? Thank you. So, now we're really, we're getting into the thick of what Paul thinks about wisdom. Does he not? Do we not? So, what is Paul's overall demeanor towards the wisdom of this world? It's foolish. Very good. It's godless. Very nice. It's divided. Don't know what that means, but I like it. What else? 
So it's godless. So someone said godless. It's foolish. So meaning godless meaning uh, meaning what? So for in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. So is there a way? So it would seem like there's no way to get to God through earthly wisdom. So then the question is, what what do you think Paul means by earthly wisdom then? where it says there's a way that seems right to a man but the end leads to death right um, I think of Proverbs 8 where uh, wisdom is personified right so God is wisdom right so by definition a godless wisdom is no wisdom at all correct I mean am I, am I right I mean feel free to push back on that but but I don't know that the Bible presents much of a case for wisdom apart from God Can you raise me yes Men's Bible study just finished uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, which if you ever want to find a guy who went all the way down the road for all of the different kinds of worldly wisdoms and didn't get there, that's the book you want to park in. I would argue that if you want to know what Paul means by the wisdom of the world that does not save, read some chapters of Ecclesiastes. You'll be washed real clean of wanting wisdom that doesn't come from God. Because he had it, right? I mean, Solomon had it. He had all the money, all the fame, all the power, all the ladies, all the everything. And he said, "All of this is vanity. It's, it's ridiculousness." What's the Bible verse says? Uh, we live to please man, to please God. I can't, you know. And I think that's that's a, a split with the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of the babes. Right. And so uh, Paul goes on. So he says, "The wisdom of this world does not save." And then also the Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. And he says, "But we preach Christ crucified." So. It would seem that there's a left side and a right side, and then there's a down the middle. And these, the, the Jews and the Greeks all kind of land on, on opposite sides, but the only path really is Christ crucified. Meaning, uh, it's a stumbling block, meaning it's, it's a sign, but it's not the sign the Jews wanted. And it's incredibly wise, but it is not the wisdom that the Gentiles want. <clears throat> so isn't that interesting? They want a sign, they want wisdom, they got it all in Christ, and none of them want it. None of them want it. Yeah. This kind of passage is uh, how we get the categories of general call and effectual call, okay. effective call. So Paul says, every time I preach, I know there's going to be Jews in the audience. They're going to trip over the idea of a crucified Messiah. I know there's going to be Greeks in the crowd that are going to say this is uh, the word that gives us the word moron. Mm. <laughs> uh, Paul, you're a moron to talk about. God coming from heaven and dying. Uh, I know that's what I'm going to get every time I preach, but to the called. So there's this general call. I'm calling people, come to Jesus, believe in Jesus, and most of them will say, no, that's foolish, or that's a 
stumbling block, but some will hear that same message and say, that's exactly what I want, that's exactly what I need, that's the wisdom and power of God, and they come to Christ. And so that's the call. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a different call than the general call made to everybody in the audience. Right. Good. Well, that's probably, yeah, go ahead, Tom. Do you think it has anything to do with works because he ends that section repeating that no one should boast? Mm. <clears throat> he says, but by his doing, we are in Christ Jesus. Uh, I Explain to me more what your question is, Tom. I'm sorry. But the question is, do you is think it it's foolishness? Is it foolishness to the lost because inherent in our flesh is works justification? Because mm. he ends it, he says, uh, 27, God has chosen the foolish things in the world to shame the wise, chosen the weak things in the world to shame the things that are strong, and the things that are of the world, um, things of the world, Despise God's chosen the things that are not that He might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. But by, by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom and the righteousness and the sanctification and the redemption. That just as it is written, let Him who boast boast more. Right. So it's that idea of it is Christ. Right. It's, it's Christ, Christ alone, right? Mm hmm. So wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we try to do, we can do nothing apart from Christ. John 15, 5, right? Apart from, apart from me, we can, you can do nothing, Christ says. And, and, then, well, and, then, and then that's a good place to end, Tom, and reading the end of, of chapter 1, because if we're going to boast, there's only one thing to boast, and it's in that, that Christ alone. We, we, we sit here this morning, if you are a believer in Christ, it is not due to anything external other than what Christ has done by the Holy Spirit in your heart to open your eyes to the truth of Christ. So we can rest and be confident and be thankful and we can boast in the great and mighty work of Christ because the call was effectual. If you are in Christ, you were called and he called you and he opened your eyes and he gave you um, a wisdom that was greater than the, the Greeks and a sign that was stronger than the Jews and he brought you home in spite of yourself. In spite of all of ourselves. Which is summarized in the word grace. Grace. If we're going to boast in anything, it can only be the grace of God. Right. That we are chosen to say. Is, is grace. Very good. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, that's probably as good a place as any to stop. Thank you all. Um, as we close, Jeff, would you close us in prayer today, please? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your words, for the 
correction and direction to Paul. Thank you for the saving power of Jesus that is offered to us today. We pray, Lord, for Fred as he brings the message today that your spirit would speak through him and that we would be pleased with our worship. 